This is Priscilla Dila. Welcome to On The Come Up series. Today I have a special guest, Albert Bannerman, who's going to be joining us today, um, giving his experience. And Albert, would you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Albert Bannerman, um, also known as Wholesome Monk. I have a t I'm a TikToker, YouTuber, writer, director, all that good stuff. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks for including me. Absolutely. So you listed so many things in your bio. <laughs> <laughs> How did you actually start to become all those things? Like when did this whole thing happen? So it happened when I was, when I was like, so I was five and I would go to my brother's um, basketball games, me and my dad, and we would record them so you can get better and stuff. And I always loved, uh, we had like one of those old things where it's like a miniature uh, VHS tape and you mm -hmm. put it in the camcorder and record it. And I loved the aspect of like, um, making uh, like a film with it, basically, quote unquote. And since then, while and then when I was turned seven, I did my first stage act, which is where I went on, uh, did poetry the first half, and then stand up the second half. So I've been doing it since I was like seven. Um, took a few years off of it, but I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and then just like watching anime, which is a big influence to me, also helped me see like, oh, there's all these cool stories you can make. Yeah. And you can build such unique characters and you, and you can relate it to other people. And then I saw Static Shock, which uh, the cartoon series from the early 2000s. That was my first time seeing myself in a character and seeing that it's possible to make a black character. It's possible to make uh, black characters coexist. It's possible to make a black character a lead and make a black family a lead without them being ghetto or drug addicts or all these mm -hmm. other type of things that we, uh, we are depicted as in Western media. So uh, that, that was a big start for me. Right. So when you first started um, doing stand-up comedy, like what prompted you to be able to say like, I want to do this professionally because some people just do things because like it's a hobby or um, they're really talented at it. But like, why do you want to make this like your living and not just stand up, but everything else that you're doing, like producing, acting, all of that. Yeah. Good question. I, um, when I started, doing stage work at seven uh i just love the preparation that went into it and i feel like when you're a kid especially uh, your attention span is always there so it was crazy that i actually had for once in my life at that time i remember clear as day that actually put so much uh, attention and detail to what i was doing for the first time i played basketball all that stuff even after that stage work but nothing captured that feeling of like looking over tape because I, I was seven I didn't know what the hell stand-up comedy was or even poetry reading so I went and I saw you know I'll sneak HBO episodes of like Chris Rock and stuff because I still have the pressure even at seven of like oh there's gonna be all my classmates there and all their parents there yeah. and I wasn't too good at relating to kids my age but I knew what it was like to be seven and everyone who was there was also either seven or a little older mm -hmm. and I had an older brother and older sister so I was like, all right, let me do my comedy to, to make the parents laugh because the parents are the ones who really should laugh the most. I felt like at the time anyway. And when you know, watch stuff like Chris Rock and stuff like that, it's not like that's for children. So I can't go up and then, you know, em emulate him per se. So I was like, all right, let me just make it jokes where it's like, okay, what a seven-year-old would be like. So basically what I'm, what I'm like and what it's like for my parents to raise me. And yeah. I feel like other parents can relate to that. So I did that and that kind of mental preparation. I was like, oh, this is so much fun. Comedy is so much fun. And there's no other thrill in life than having people laugh with you, laugh at experiences. Not because it's like just, not only because it's funny, but because 
they can relate to it. And when you're working in stand-up or any type of comedy field, you get to see through their laughter how much they're releasing of stress yeah. and uh, or anxiety and stuff like that. Because um, you'd be surprised. I feel like if you can laugh at yourself, first and foremost, you defeat so many things that other people can say to you. Because if you can laugh at yourself, there's no words that should uh, be able to like penetrate your soul and make you feel some type of way. So I was like, yeah, comedy is really fun. And then I loved acting. Yeah. Um, I actually like comedic acting more than stand-up. So I was like, uh, I wanted to get into that. So I started doing my own um, films and stuff uh, that, that I could star in. Cause I wouldn't, I wasn't able to get a chance. So I did a lot of stuff myself. Yeah. That's something cool that you said when you said that when you see people laugh, like there's no greater feeling because people are relieving like stress or anxiety. I honestly never thought of it that way. But then when I think of myself, when I've watched like funny comedians on TV or something like when I laugh, it's also like relieving stress in a way about things that like I've experienced, you know, and yeah. might've heard. So in a way you're healing people, but it's not in like a traditional way that people would think of it. Exactly. And I feel like that's really important to say because, uh, you know, you get a lot of people who have stressful days. I'm one that just because we're comedians doesn't mean, uh, we don't have stressful days. We're not real people. I don't say jokes like 24 seven, you know, it's work to me. So, yeah. uh, but yeah, I feel like it's an important medicine. I feel like it's also an important way to get messages across the table, whether it's a political one or whether it's a social one or whatever have you. I feel like comedy is a way to disguise it. It's almost like a pill, like you're able to disguise the medicine in some fun way that's easier for a kid or, or, or elderly man to be able to swallow, understand. So that's why I like mm -hmm. comedy for. Right. And do you, when you do your comedy skits and producing movies and comedies, do you do it in a way that you want to project a certain, um, not stereotype, but like a certain story about like black people or just like anything in frame? Like what kind of stories do you want to tell? It's funny you said that I was just on another podcast yesterday talking about this. And um, I feel like it's, when it comes to black stories, I definitely try to speak. I can only speak for black people and especially specifically, I specifically Africans because that's what right. I am. And so, um, but at the same time, I hate speaking and generalizing <clears throat> for so many people, which, you know, you can't help but doing when you, when you make stuff, but still, uh, I try to speak through my black experience personally and then let that be the vehicle. And then any black people, African or otherwise that can latch onto that or be like, Oh, I went through that or I went through that is what I look for because it's impossible to, even though I'm, you know, black and in America is still impossible because everyone has, there's some people who have never dealt with racism ever mm -hmm. and they're black. There's, or at least, you know, in a major way, some it fluctuates for certain people. So I just try to go through my experience. I went through so many diverse experiences that I feel like a lot of people, majority of people, no matter what kind of, um, you know, black quote unquote yeah. they are, they can latch onto and, and uh, relate to it in some way. But I also am growing too as a writer and, and stuff because we're not used to seeing black leads um, on screen and we're not used to, even there's a black character on screen before a lot of times, sometimes it's like a white writer or someone else, another writer that's not black writing for that black character. So at the end of the day, that black character that's on screen isn't really representing anyone. Because that black character is that other not that that, that black character is the non-black writer's perception of black people. Yeah. So once you learn that, because even now, like it's so weird to see a black lead, except like Black Panther, because it's a superhero is already set that way. But like to see a non-superhero 
something that's not in Af- based in Africa to see a black person on screen is, is it's weird. And I tell people all the time, black dollars are really important in the U.S. economy, especially in entertainment. We fuel it no matter what anyone says. You know, we see even a movie, in my opinion, that's not, that wasn't that good, which is Queen and Slim. We still showed out to go see it. You know, and especially with Jordan Peele when he made Get Out or Us, we went to go see that. Yeah. Black Panther, you already know. We had Africans and non-Africans and Dashikis and uh and uh collard greens and shit going to going to the movie premiere and watching like six times. Mm-hmm. And we made an event. So I, I try to to give a voice to people. I definitely try to uh also add black actors and actresses and writers and talk to them, even my poetry, which I'm sure we'll touch on later. Um mm-hmm. I definitely try to think about the black experience and talk about my own story. Right. So speaking about the black experience, um, leading off to your films and poetry, I've had the chance to view some, well, view them and read them too. And the way that you write, I feel like it honestly goes beyond the physical. Um, It touches even to like the sunder of the soul. And I'm really serious with that. So I know like right now, um, the last couple of months we've had like civil unrest. um, Yeah. And so do you use your words and films to be able to share your pain, to be able to like bring people together? Like what's your inspiration? How do you get to that? For me, it was always just frustration um, with the current system as someone who was a victim of uh, police brutality in the past when I was a kid. um, Thankfully I'm still here. Obviously not everyone is lucky as we can see. Um, I always just had this pain and it took a lot of help to help uh, to find myself again from it because it's very traumatic. What people understand is very traumatic. Even if you survive, depending on your experience and how severe it can get, um, you lose a piece of yourself when that when that stuff happens. I still don't have that piece of myself to this day. So I found that poetry and comedy was a really good way for me to, uh, I, I want to say, exercise these demons that I may have from these experiences. And what I like about poetry, because I'm not uh, I'm not an R&B singer and I'm not a rapper. I'm not going to pretend like I am, but I really enjoy the art, but I'm not good enough to do that stuff yet. Um, mm-hmm. I always work on better myself. But poetry and spoken word is something I'm good at. I've always done, again, since I was like six, seven years old. I was like, this is a perfect opportunity because comedy is great, but there's only so much you can get done. And it has to be funny at the end of the day. Yeah. Sometimes you just want to get like a clear message and clear frustration out and sometimes comedy uh you know is not the best way to express that so i was like all right poetry is the other way i can express it especially quickly because you know i can make a dramatic skit but that takes a lot of bodies and people and time so i was like all right let me do poetry um you know we matter 1865 those are some of the ones i did about the black issue in america and uh yeah it comes from a place of just like frustration but also hope um and and desperation because one of the, the key things that sparked it off i believe uh 1865 was first what what, what uh spot that poem off is that i was talking to my dad when um brianna taylor thing happened i had george floyd didn't happen yet brianna yeah. taylor happened and i thought that was super tragic you know and i was like uh and she doesn't you know again justice for her because she doesn't get a lot of light uh compared to some other ones um and I was telling my dad and he was just like, look, man, this thing, cause my dad's a 60 something was born in 59. Yeah. So, you know, Martin Luther King, the whole Mar- March in Washington, a lot of this stuff happened. Again, he's, he's African. So it doesn't hit him as directly as I'm sure black Americans who had more of a root here than, than my family has over time. But he was like, look, we've been fighting for this thing ever since. And he's just like, you can see the tiredness in his eyes. And, um, you know, and I, my biggest thing was seeing the youth also take the lead, and especially in my our area, the yeah. youth took the lead 
and a lot of the protests around this area. I mean, some of them were not even are not even old enough to vote yet. So the fact that they still understood the importance and the dire of the situation, they saw themselves in these people should show people how traumatic this is. So I was like, yeah, I want to voice that thing. And I wanted to end my biggest uh, thing is I want to end with us. I don't want to see our kids or their kids or their kids, kids like fight the same tired fight again. Mm-hmm. So I was like, let me just do this the best way I, I can possible. Yeah. And when you put your, your work out, do you feel like some sort of relief because like all those emotions, what, what you've been holding on to? Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. It takes like, it also takes like, uh, I take as much time as I need. I, it's just fortunate, I guess, that I, I can do it in a day. I, I don't know if it's because I've done, done it for so long or whatever, but um, I even retired from poetry up to the point that I started doing them again, like recently. Yeah. So the fact that I was able to find it just shows how much this has affected me because it's hard to come back to a, a, any kind of craft of arts when you're gone for so long. Yeah. And um yeah, I, I just really like doing it. The release is nice. There's also people who have called me, especially after um, We Matter, because we, when We Matter dropped, uh, it was after uh, Rihanna Taylor and George Floyd. Yeah. The protest already kicked off. I even went to a lot of the protests, too, in the uh, D.C. area and stuff, like, every day, like, for the full week, every day I went to one. And, um, you know, practice, you know, as much social distance as I could. I had my mask on, gloves and everything. But, um yeah, and then so people, so people would call me after the poems, after to read them, and voice to me their frustrations with the situation because not everyone has a creative outlet like I do, or yeah. uh, as good as I am as doing what I what I do with it. So people are like, "This is amazing. Mm-hmm. This is beautiful. Thank you for encapsulating like everything I'm feeling." And they cry to me, and they're trying to process the the stuff because that, that uh, also that killing of a black man in Atlanta happened at that like in that thing at the Wendy's parking lot too. Yeah like after I dropped, like a day after I dropped it. So people will call me about that and try to process their feelings and stuff. So it's, it's, a, it's a nice uh, release, but it's also nice to open a dialogue, which is what I always wanted to do. Absolutely. So being so young, you're 24, 23? Yeah, 24. Okay. And you're doing everything all at once. And that's something that now a lot of 24-year-olds can say that they do. Um, yeah. When you when you are on your way of being becoming who you want to become, do you have like an inspiration of someone who's done the same thing that he had in the past, or are you your own inspiration because of you haven't really seen that being done? Like, how do you view your whole process with that? Well, I definitely have people I look up to. Um, not really in terms of age wise, but I do look up to Don Glover, aka Childish Gambino. When he was young, he was doing. Uh, he was a writer in a lot of the NBC shows. He was in community, did music, did stand-up. I love his stand-up uh, when he used to do it a couple of years ago. So that that's like my biggest point of inspiration. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I watched a lot of Chris Rock when I was younger, Dave Chappelle, uh, some of the goats there. So I, I really enjoyed their craft. And I was like – and they've done it even longer and got more successful than – at my age, when they were when they were my age, so it's really just about seeing them and seeing how they balanced it and learning from their mistakes. Because um, they each, like anybody, has to deal with their own things going on. So it's nice to see that. Um, I never really had a mentor ever. It's it hard. It was always hard for me to get a mentor. God definitely wanted a black one, just because um, at the time when I started doing this stuff, I was in a lot of areas that did not like black people. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be, and I had this frustration as a kid and as a teenager, you know how those go, mm-hmm. where it's like, 
you have this rage that you don't know how to get rid of and don't know how to express yourself properly in a, in a, in a proper and non-destructive manner. Right. So, um, so yeah, I had to look at them to, to, to really guide my creative path and my creativity. And uh, yeah, those, those are the, those are people who come to mind. Okay. That's pretty cool. I think I really need to like um, to research Donald Glover because this is the second time someone in the podcast interview has said like they're, the, they're his inspiration. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he's done a lot too. So that's pretty dope to give him a shout out. Um, so right now, like what's one of your favorite piece that you've produced? I definitely, so I have a love for We Matter. Um, yeah. There's definitely like, just because it's so recent um, and just a capital, again, like just talks about everything that's going on recently in my mind. And it was really out of place. That one more than 1865 was out of a place of frustration yeah. because again, um, when I did We Matter, that's when George Floyd happened and then the Atlanta thing happened. So it was just about like, like, damn, there's so much anger and frustration. Not only that, I'm, 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 um, empathetic so it's like you know you feel other people's emotions and just what's going on and you can't anxiety was racing for anyone that was black in this country as a matter of fact in the world because you had so much stuff going on um and anytime you go on twitter any of these social medias or you turn on the tv whether it's espn or nbc mm-hmm. you get the same news and it's about a black person dying it's about these players protesting it's about this happening is this going to happen and you already been and at the time we've already been in um quarantine for what like a couple like a couple months in I, I believe if i'm not mistaken i think the protests happened like late may early june or something so we were been stuck for a while and so you're dealing with all that anxiety and you're just like kind of scared so we matter definitely has a place for me um um so yeah i, I really like that piece that's the, my most recent piece that i'm really proud of okay that's awesome so being like i said before like being 24 and doing all those things like i'm sure people um, when they look at you, they're like, oh, wow, like, he's being successful already, but they don't really see, like, the other side of it, like, the yeah. hardships and, like, the, you know, the obstacles that we face. So, um, when you're facing some challenges and when you're having some doubts and everything else like that, like, how do you manage to push through it? Like, what's your why? Like, what's your passion? Um, That's a great question. And for me, it comes from just remembering where I used to be. Mm. Um dealing with racism as a kid, um, t- always being told I'm too fat to do this or I'm, t- or I'm too out of shape to do this or I'm too black to do this or I, because I can speak with proper grammar because my parents instilled in me to speak proper grammar uh, and speak uh, the proper English, proper American English, um, that I'm too white. I'm not black enough. I'm too white. So I've never been fit anywhere. Even when I moved from the West Coast back to the East Coast, it was amongst many diverse black people, meaning the Islanders and Africans and everything. And then it's like, oh, you're too, you're, you're, you're not dressed this way, or you're not doing this way, or you don't know this much about your heritage, or you can't speak these anyone that's African, no matter what country you're from, there's right. like a hundred different languages. Right. <laughs> so it's like, oh, you can't speak this one out of a hundred. Oh, how dare you or whatever. So at that point, I just gave up. And I was like, man, this this, is, this sucks. And I stopped and I was so insecure. Um, I tell you all the time, I had like a thousand followers on YouTube in like the end of high school, early college. Mm. And I, because I, uh, I loved anime, I did a lot of content on anime amongst my comedy stuff. Yeah. And it was just a way just to do stuff. I never really get to talk to uh, about anime with other people at the time. And um, 
and I let the insecurity stop me from progressing because I still have the same 1,000 or so now, and it's been years later. And that's because I had so much anxiety and I was battling, uh, battling depression and stuff that I stopped doing it. And it just made my depression worse that I stopped doing it. I didn't realize it until like maybe a year ago uh, when I was out of college. So seeing that stuff where I came from, and I never want to go back to that place. And I want to actually have a place where I'm having fun. Like I'm having the most fun I've ever had in my life these last two years, uh, for sure. Especially this um, 2019, because I just realized so much different things. Even in 2020, as much as the year sucks, um, I can still create. I'm still blessed enough where I can create my craft and and still create. You know the poems that we talked we already talked about, and I'm um, working on a film right now and doing all these things. So that's my inspiration. It's just really not laying down the, uh, the people who believe in me too, because there's always going to be a time. And I tell this to every, any young or old creator, anyone who's trying to create and hasn't made it yet in yeah. terms of the industry standards. Um, you, you do it for the people who believe in you. Do it for the people. I do it for the people who listen to all my jokes. Cause the jokes that you see on, whether it's on TikTok uh, videos or Instagram videos or YouTube or on stage. Yeah. It took hours, days, maybe even a year. It takes time to to craft those jokes to what you finally see recorded. Right. Um, so there's a lot of people who listen to me. Hours upon hours of like tape that, that I use my phone um, and and all that stuff. So I do it for them. The people believe in me. Um, uh, and then the doubters, man, I just use them as fuel. Mm. Um, not in a vengeful way, but I'm just like, you know, just let them do what you got to do. I used to be like really get to me. I used to really get to me. Oh, this person doesn't like my anime content because it's like now it's like i don't give a uh, you know i don't know if i can cut some pocket i don't care i just don't care about what they think so i'm just like you know let's get to a better place and every year i better myself in fact i have a group of friends where every year we choose one insecurity that we all have and we work on it for the entire like year or whatever and mine is uh cosplaying because anyone who's black and tries to cosplay any kind of anime character or cartoon character or anything knows that it gets pushed back from the community. Oh, you know, Naruto isn't, isn't black. None of these characters are black. You can't do this. You, you can only do this one black character that they have that made black and be black, black, like a rapper that's in the fucking, uh, in a ninja village and like whatever. I'm like, dog, what? So I deal with that. So I never did it. Or like, Oh, you're too big. You, you have to be, have a six pack to, to do be, to, to uh, be this character. And it used to get to me. I used to just like, I don't want the pushback. I don't want to deal with it. But now I'm like, you know, again, fuck it. Let me just do it. Um, so I'm going to cosplay for the first time in my life um, soon enough. So I'm excited for that. So that, that's just where my energy comes from. It's just like I want it so bad. I can't see myself doing anything else. I've tried nine to five. And no, and this again, this is not a, a shot at anyone who does nine to five retail. I've done all of it. I've done all of it. I've re- if anything, retail humbles you. Retail and food service I've done. And it humbles the hell out of you. And I was like, uh, I'd never want to do this. <laughs> And I know that for the amount of work I put into these companies, if I put it into my own craft, I can get paid. Like the, I can get paid. So I was like, uh, and again, it's all about connectivity and just like connecting to other people. And I've been, I've been able to travel too because of this. So uh, it wasn't for me like pursuing it, you know, I wouldn't have done it. And there's things you give up. There's sacrifices you have to make um, not to ramble on about it, but there's sacrifices you have to make. Like uh, I can't go out of party that much. I can't go do all these, I can't go travel for vacation. I haven't taken a vacation until recently. Like last week I took a vacation for the first time mm-hmm. in probably like seven years. And that's not because I can't afford it. Wow. It's just that like, I literally, when I'm on vacation, I think about work. When I'm on vacation, I do skits. Even when I was on this vacation, I still made a couple of videos, nothing like too strenuous, but I was like, I just want to capture it. Um, 
what I'm doing, the cool things I'm seeing, because not everyone can travel and some people lose hope. So I was like, I just want to, if I can give hope to at least one person, that's why I do mentee programs too. If I can give hope to one person and help guide them where I was lost, then I know I succeeded. And I'm willing to, to just be happy with that. So that's what I do. That's how my inspiration comes from. That's beautiful. I like Thank that because you. it's like, it's not, it's, it's more of like in a village kind of way. It's like you have people that you want to give hope to. You have your friends, people that believed in you and also yourself. So it's kind of like a full rounded um, circle of inspiration. And I really like the part where you talk about like your friends and you like being better one year from before and how you guys all have like, you pick one insecurity yeah. to work on that. And it's really great because when you have like a circle of um, people who can hold you accountable, um, those people can really push you far from what you can do yourself. So it sounds like you have a really good village of people. I'm not gonna lie. I feel bad. I felt bad at first because I was like, I'm the one who started it. And because it, I just want to work on my own insecurity. And I knew it was hard to do it by yourself. Right. So I'm like, hey, all y'all, my man my people, we all doing this together. Like, I don't know about that. I was like, yeah, we're gonna do it. It's gonna be better. And uh, so shout out to them, though, for agreeing. They really didn't have to like yeah. agree to my selfishness. But it's just like you said, it's nice to have a village around you. And it's nice to have like a group of people who are holding uh holding each other accountable mm-hmm. and willing to do that stuff mm-hmm. so one of the reasons why i honestly started this podcast was because like when i'm watching you right now like i'm envisioning myself like a few years back like if i had watched this um i would be really inspired because when we see like successful people we just yeah. see like the glam and everything else right but like hearing your story is like there's not it's not glamorous all the time um but for people who want to become like a comedian or like a producer or an actor or a photographer, because that's why you are too. Yeah. Um, so what advice would you give them if they haven't yet taken that first step? Because like they have doubt, they have fear, they're insecure. Like what advice can you give them to just take that first step to go towards your goal? Uh, my advice to them would be jump in to what you're doing. Like just whatever you want to do, jump right in and do it. It's never too late. It's never too soon. Just jump in. Whether you're 18 doing it or whether you're 30 doing it, whether you're my age, 24 doing it, it doesn't matter. Some people didn't make it until they're 35. Their time is like, um, people, people misjudge time. People, that's why some people are late to things. Some people are too early to things. People just misjudge time so much, especially when it comes to the years. Yeah. yeah years go by fast. They really do. But a, a lot can happen in one week, let alone one year. So if you're really about it, you have to really be about it again because you have to sacrifice stuff. Um, me, I've never been a party guy and stuff like that. So I never saw that as like a sacrifice per se. But once you get more friends, you do you do want to hang out with them and do stuff like that. But like, so that's where the sacrifice part comes in. Yeah. But you be willing to sacrifice. Um, I'm not saying to get, you don't have to get rid of your moral background or your moral standing, which you shouldn't actually. You should hold on to that more than anything else. Yeah. But you have to sacrifice the things like the things you know you don't need in the life you're trying to live. Like you don't need to drink every weekend. You don't need to smoke every day. Um, you don't need to spend all, you don't need to go on vacation and, and like, like uh, go overseas and do all these things. If you're trying to like work, because it's a lot of money. It takes to fuel the stuff that, you know, we're doing and all these things. Um, it takes a lot of time. That's another thing. Be willing to spend time. When yeah. I was in college, I think right before you got to um, the place we were going, went to school at, um, I did, I had two jobs and I had, I think like 18 credit hours or something. Like I was doing a lot. I was doing like a lot. So I was doing a little bit too much, but I still had time to film in the zone and do, uh, uh, which one best comedy. And then to yeah. do, um, 
photographer picked pick that up because people don't know about my photography. I self-taught myself all that stuff. So I did all that. I still, you know, managed to get, maintain my thousand on YouTube, uh, grow my Instagram, my network and make friends mm-hmm. and do all those things. Mm-hmm. But I definitely didn't go to all the parties. I definitely, you know, I didn't sacrifice um, time in the studio or lab for women, you know, things like that. There's like a lot of vices that people, you have to get rid of a lot, like a lot of yeah. excess stuff when you try to do the craft because you have to put like 10,000 hours in. Like you have to do so many things to just better yourself. Like if you're not getting better, I, I, I want to say week by week. And that's not to put a timetable on anyone, but I'm just saying like, it doesn't have to be like literally jumping huge levels. But I mean like, oh, I didn't know how to edit one little edit. Well, now I spend one week doing that one little edit. Now I have that one little edit. It's like about brick by brick type thing. Yeah. So I just tell people like work on your craft brick by brick, uh, cut out all the excess fat of life. So don't anything you don't need to spend your money on, don't spend your money on because it's a good chance you're going to have to move to a more creative area um, and stuff like that. So just, just cut off the excess fat of life and keep pushing and you will get it. You will, it may not be, you know, it may not be the ideal success again, the society, uh, society or industry success that you're looking for but if you're satisfied with every piece of work you put in mm-hmm. and you get the notoriety that you believe you deserve then you won so yeah. that's, I, that's my advice to people yeah i'm gonna say some of the advice too um i like that the aspect of like brick by brick because not everything happens overnight um yeah. and i think like what's really important before getting into like going after your goals is having your own definition of what success is you know because like let's say you just go into something and then your definition of success is like, Oh, I have to have like 10 million followers. Oh, I have to be picked up by this network. Like whatever it may be, that's someone else's definition of success. But if you have your own definition of what it is, what it looks like, how it feels, and then you obtain it, no matter how it looks like to other people, it doesn't matter. Right. Because you're satisfied with the way that you did things your own way. Um, So I think that's also important is like, you're able to define to yourself what success is before going on your journey and of course, like it can change because circumstances change. But as long as you have that definition for yourself, you'd be straight. You'd be yeah, straight. I think people, um, people, uh, you know, I've, like I said, I've heard it all. That's another thing. Uh, you you hear so much. Mm-hmm. You you hear you hear uh, everything under the sun to discourage you. Like you'll hear it from your parents, your friends, your whoever. Because like a lot of people just don't understand what is you're doing and you know they always look at that percent that that glowing number of like oh only one percent get into to this kind of field and become successful at it or whatever mm-hmm. and um you know you'll hear people make fun of you I've, I've heard people make fun of me i've heard people um tell me to go kill myself i've heard people tell me that my my sh- my shit isn't good even though they're laughing at it though i've seen people literally laugh at my shit and then, you know, go home and comment, you know, shit. I've seen, I've seen people, you know, people will go talk behind your back about your craft and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. People will watch your pockets like, oh, he, he, you know, they, oh, he went to go buy this one drink. Yeah, but you didn't see me spend about like 5000 on the studio equipment right. that I did to use to get that, that stage time or to get my podcast on uh all these other networks and stuff like that. So you have all those people saying that and uh, they'll see you even like right now, like as we are talking right now, I hit, I just hit 2000 on TikTok, which was my goal for October. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, it was my goal for October. So the fact that we're, uh, you know, where we're at recording in September, September yeah. I got that so early. I got weeks early than I thought, you know, so that just shows how much 
effort I put in. People hate to recognize that shit. And you're going, you're human. Everyone's human. There's going to be an aspect of you, a part of you that wants people to recognize your grind. But the truth is, no one cares about the grind, nor should they. In terms of other people looking at your grind, because um, that's just not what people like. People like drama. People like the finished product. People like the the shiny stuff. That's why we grind, so we can show them the polished thing. So just as long as you recognize your grind, your hustle, and you put out the best product, the best shiny polished product you can put out and let people that that love you and love your craft enjoy it then that's all that matters exactly that's beautiful you share a lot of uh gems here albert so i try my best try to do my best for you (laughs) (laughs) i'm also positive like the listener will also be inspired by what you said so on that note we're gonna switch gears here and i'm gonna ask you you a couple questions um related to your field some fun facts, some like who's your favorites and whatnot, so we can get to right. you. All right. Let's do it. All right. So number one, and I've seen some of your comedy skits on Instagram. <laughs> so I wanted to know this question. Yeah. What's the easiest and what's the hardest accent to learn? Yeah, so the African accent <laughs> so the, the hardest for sure is um British just because it it slips. It can especially especially if you don't know what you're doing. Right. It can slip into an Irish accent. They're very different, of course. But when you when you hear like, because I get mine from a TV from TV shows. Right. But there's mixed like, oh, there's a British person and the star of the show. But there's a lot of Irish people to deal with because of the UK situation. Right. So like, it, you hear all the accents, so it's easy to like switch. Especially when the base of mine is an African accent. Like I can easily switch to African accent. Um, especially Liberian. English <laughs> is very different and unique in the West Coast of Africa. So switching from that in a, in one skit because you see my skits where I switch from African American to African to British okay. and then back again. So that that can be difficult and sometimes it can slide. So it takes like maybe an hour to record that one minute skit just because I want to get it as tight as possible. But mm-hmm. ETS is African and then even, even better than American. Some people have told me that I'm African. Like I have like African first before American. I was like, no, nah, I was born in the Bronx, bro. Wow. But, so some people are like, you don't have an American accent. That's not an American accent. I'm like, bro, what are you talking about? But yeah, African is the easiest to switch to. And then um, uh, British is the hardest. Okay. And right now, like in the comedic scene, who is the best stand-up comedian in your opinion? Uh, I'm going to say the best right now is Dave Chappelle. If we're being like, you know, straightforward. Dave Chappelle clearly best. Just won an Emmy uh, two days ago or whatever. Um, but my personal favorite that I think is really good, but like really underrated is Michael Che. He's on the SNL, uh, on SNL weekend update. Uh, he's really good. And especially with everything that's going on right now, if you haven't seen his comedy special on Netflix, uh, it, it is from a couple of years ago, but it holds very true still today, which is the problem. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Dave Chappelle, the goat, but Michael Che is up there for me. Okay, cool. And your top two favorite producers. I have, when it comes to producers, it's a little hard for that um, yeah. because it goes all over the place. But for sure, right now, Jordan Peele is killing it and what everything he's executive producing, he has his hands on. Yeah. Um, he's, yeah, he's just killing Jordan Peele is like the go for me. There is no number two. It's just like Jordan Peele for me. Wow. He's that good, huh? He's very good. I think he chooses projects very well, um, gives black actors some work, some serious work. And not only just roles like some slavery role or something like that, he gives them roles where they can really show their range, show their emotions, use all your tools that you gain as an actor 
and and uh, on full display on a whether it's HBO or whether it's in his movies or CBS, and he does it all. So uh, uh, Jordan Peele for sure. Okay, cool. And then this is the this is the hardest question, but I want to know your answer, <laughs> right? So you're a photographer, and yeah. let's say like you're offered a gig, right? Yeah. To photograph either to photograph both Barack Obama and Eddie Murphy, but. Yeah. Last minute, this switch, and then the booking's on the same day. So who are you going to pick, Barack Obama or Eddie Murphy? Um, I'm going to pick Eddie Murphy because Barack Obama is dope and everything, and it would be amazing. But there's only so much I can learn from Barack Obama in terms of relating to what I directly want to do. Mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy is uh, – timeless trove of information for me um and it would just be great even even if the conversation is like one minute with eddie murphy i think i'll learn so much about what i'm trying to do and get a better direction of what i want to do um than i would from barack but barack obama obviously uh, is great but eddie murphy is definitely someone where i have have to take that shoot for sure that's fair that's fair I knew that was stumpy. I was like, hmm, who would he better have someone? No, that's hard. It's hard. They're both obviously goats in their own rights, but Eddie Murphy for sure I have to do. Right, right. All right. So last question. Um, where can the people find you on social media? And also I forgot to mention you also have your own podcast. So let us know all the different yes, ways. Yes, yes. So you can find me on on Instagram and on TikTok at wholesome underscore monk and my podcast the Wholesome Monk podcast. I have, you know, my shirt right here, you know what I'm saying, representing. Um, that's available on Spotify and uh, my YouTube channel, ABTV Productions, where you can find, like, my short films and my uh, poetry. But, yeah, that's that's all I do. I do everything. I try my best. You do everything. You really do everything. Well, thank you so much, Albert, for joining me today. Um, I know, like, I personally have learned a lot from you, and I hope that some listeners have too. And, I can't wait to see your future projects coming up. And <laughs> thank you. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this time. Absolutely. All right. Bye. Happy Sunday to all of you guys. This is a Sunday after Thanksgiving, and I hope everyone had a great holiday with the loved ones. I'm going to leave you guys with a short film that Albert made during the civil unrest that we had this summer. It's titled We Matter. Enjoy. Dear officers, enough is enough. We've been fighting for equal rights long before the dark night. Black lives matter and you got offended so you made up a race you didn't have to mace. Blue lives matter, cut off the camera screaming all lives matter as you batter a black man blacker. To all the people who sit and watch as a black man dies, You're a mixture of Trump and the ops, just in disguise. Shout out to Sandra Bland, she warned us and she died not long after. Since then, I've lost all laughter. Breonna Taylor, I'm sorry. How you gonna shoot a black woman dead to blame her husband when all you can see is red? George Floyd sparked a revolution that will be televised while you pigs with pint-sized dicks get exposed like the New York Knicks. We were down 3-1, you thought we were done. 
You call for the broomsticks, we call for LeBron. I'm black. My skin's as dark as a room with little light. I watch anime to escape to a better life. Yes, your honor, I'm guilty of loving watermelon, fried chicken, and black women. My mom and sisters are black. Thank God they survived the 80s. When you defiled our communities with crack. That teach me how to be a man Know this guy was a little late But I'm still not grown, yeah I'm glad that you can understand Cause it took a couple years Till we had this fellowship I still get mad, don't bite my tongue